the financial position of women in the ancient world in general uh, was pretty precarious. The portion of the book of Kings that we don't hear in the first reading tells us how it was that Elijah met this widow of Zarephath. He was on the run from Queen Jezebel in Israel, and he went into exile in the Gentile land of Sidon. And there he came upon this widow gathering sticks. Her food had run out. And uh, mind you, Elijah himself was responsible for the drought. Um, So she was gathering some sticks to make a fire so that she and her young son, her only son, could lie down and at least have a warm house as they died. A widow had no safety net, as it were, other than the kindness of others, which was enjoined in the law of Moses, but of course it's one thing to have such a law, it's another that it be observed. She had very few resources to make her way, unless that is she had a son who was old enough to support her. And so in both cases, in the case of Elijah, and in the story we hear in the Gospel, we are looking at women in desperate situations. With Elijah, he is already known to the widow. In fact, he's on hand when her son dies, and she is able to make an appeal to him, or at least to blame him for this. In the Gospel, the situation of the widow is rather different. And if we think back to the moment that her son dies, or perhaps just before that, uh, we can imagine quite a different scene. We have no evidence that she or anyone else knows that Jesus is nearby. And so one can imagine her inconsolable state. Because just as her only son was about to enter into manhood, just at the point where hope was beginning to dawn, she is thrust back into destitution. Her pitiable plight brings out a host of mourners and supporters, uh, but we shouldn't imagine too hastily that this offered a lot of promise for her. We might imagine that some of her friends were making those calculations that we make when life makes a sudden and unexpected turn. From now on, everything's going to be different. What are we going to do? Different persons in the crowd are undoubtedly responding in their own ways to the crisis, But I doubt anyone was very confident that things were going to turn out well. Meanwhile, this crowd, as it goes out to the cemetery, they encounter another crowd, as I say, probably an unfamiliar one. And unlike Elijah, Jesus Christ needs no invitation or prodding to step forward and raise the young man. It's a typical Lucan touch that he records for us the compassionate words of the Lord. Do not weep. And uh, I often think of how quickly this all must have taken place if, if I had been there, as the grieving crowd is suddenly approached by a man who's a prophet or a crazy man or both, and what kind of outrage is he planning? He walks right up to the coffin amidst this scene of grief. What's this guy doing? And, of course, you can imagine, again, how fast it all happens, and suddenly the young man sits up and starts talking the one we had just been grieving over. What do you do with the rest of your day when that happens? One gets a sense of the confusion uh, that this brings about when Luke records that the crowd was frightened, but also glorifying God. So there's this peculiar mix of joy 
and fear. They hadn't expected this, much less dared to ask God for such a favor. And yet, Jesus, the Lord, sought them out, moved by his compassion. Oftentimes, uh, when we are struggling or suffering in some way, when pain reaches a certain intensity, it becomes difficult to pray, difficult to reach out to God. It's easy to imagine in such circumstances that he has abandoned us. And we even might start making calculations about uh, what kind of adjustments we'll have to make in our life since God isn't helping us anymore. There's a last element to this story that Luke assumes that we will know, and it helps to shed some light on how this applies to us. To touch a corpse renders a person unclean for at least one week, according to Torah. And this means that the person is excluded from temple worship, and the person is actually separated from God for a short time. And this, again, is why the Lord's bold approach to the coffin would have been so unexpected and frightening. Who in his right mind would intentionally defile himself in this way? And so, again, it can be when we are suffering or when we become aware of sinful dispositions in our hearts. We are fearful of exposing them because they make others feel unclean to know that we're not perfect to know that we're suffering. We become an inconvenience to other people when we're hurting. So oftentimes we hide that hurt. If others knew the truth about us, they would flee as if from something unclean. But God's Son does quite the opposite. He, rather, goes right to the place of death and says, Do not despair. This is a kind of foreshadowing of our Lord's harrowing of hell. He doesn't shy away from death. He goes right at it in order to heal and save and redeem. So how do we know when this has happened to us? How do we know that God has visited us? I would say we might expect the same mixture of fear and joy that the people experienced. This, is, uh, this visitation of God is something beyond our mundane lives could happen all the time, of course, if we're aware of it, but uh, it's something beyond our normal faculties, let's say. So what sort of fear does this involve? And let's ask what makes the people in the story afraid. It's odd because they weren't exactly afraid of death. It seemed like they had kind of reconciled themselves to this hard reality at this point. It was normal, if tragic and bitter. Rather, What's fearful is an awareness of a power greater than death, a power that has reached into our lives and touched us. And this seems to place an obligation on us. So I jokingly put it before, how do we go on living normal lives after something like this happens? How do we respond to an in intervention like this? I would say, for one thing, we become more cautious about our own behavior fearful lest we forget what we've experienced, what's been shown to us, lest we lose the gift of life that we have been given, lest we continue living as if nothing happened. Now, we have received baptism and the pledge of resurrection, and we have been sought out and raised by Christ, so surely we have received this kind of visitation. And if we don't 
feel every day this kind of mixture of fear and joy, uh, if the Lord would reach out and do this even when we didn't ask him, how much more will he touch our lives if we seek him out? And so what has our response been?